Welcome to New Realities. I'm Alan Steinfeld. This is an exclusive interview I did with Daryl Anka, who is the channel for Bashar. For the past 38 years, he's been channeling this hybrid human uh, ET being. And here he is talking about the races of hybrid beings. Thank you for listening. I think because Bashar is a hybrid and you've been... Um, a- probably one of his best students, you are, you're probably more qualified than anyone to understand what that process is about, how his race has come into being the purpose. And maybe, I mean, I know you have your own presentation, I'm just throwing ideas at how maybe we can all learn about our own evolutionary future based on your knowledge and what Bashar as a first contact specialist is, has brought here for people who don't know Bashar he's channeled through Daryl last 38 years he is a um from the he's a Sasani race which is like 300 years into the future the he is a hybrid between the human and gray experiments the hybridization program that has then evolved and taken up resonance on this other planet is that a good Foundation. Yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. Okay, in a nutshell. Well, Daryl, thanks again. I really appreciate your... What I can do, certainly, is for those that aren't familiar, I can transmit the story that Bashar, the entity, the hybrid entity you referred to, has talked about in terms of <clears throat> the origin of the of the hybrids and, and how all of that, from his perspective, actually occurred. So I can just begin with that. Right. Okay, Daryl. Thanks again. And um, thanks for being a good friend. And Daryl also has a chapter in my new book, Making Contact. I'm just going to go ahead and start the story in the way that Bashar has told it. And he, uh, when he first told this story, it it was unusual. I've never heard it anywhere else in terms of what he's saying the origin of the greys actually is and the hybrids. But um, I... Just a couple of years ago, I found one other source, uh, an uh, American Indian uh, story that actually talked about uh, them the way, the greys the way that Bashar does. And it's the only other source I've ever found that uh, says the same thing that Bashar did. And basically what that is, is there are many different parallel reality versions of Earth. Since time is an illusion, they all exist simultaneously from his perspective. And he has said that the greys are not really an alien race. They are mutated humans from a parallel version of Earth. They were technologically very advanced, more than we are now, but they were sort of spiritually not as advanced as their technology and they allow the technology to sort of run away with itself they uh polluted they destroyed the ecological systems of their version of earth to the point where uh, they could no longer reproduce they started having to try and clone themselves which also did not ultimately work they moved underground to start uh their civilization to safeguard their civilization from the destruction and the pollution that they had caused on the surface they couldn't reverse it even with their technology and over time they basically to adapt to what was going on on the planet started mutating themselves into now what we understand to be the greys 
but they were still basically dying out. So the only way they knew that they could sort of resuscitate their civilization was to find a viable source of human DNA, since they didn't have that anymore. <clears throat> so their technology was advanced enough that it allowed them to build ships and shift into other parallel versions of Earth, such as ours, where humans still existed, where human DNA was still viable. This, according to Bashar, was the beginning of the whole alien abduction experience. Now, I understand that that's been somewhat traumatic for a lot of people for a variety of reasons, but I don't believe that it was actually done maliciously. It's just that one of the things that the Greys did in order to accomplish the mission of surviving and being able to move forward with the hybridization agenda is that they needed to work as a unit. And so, in a sense, they kind of altered themselves to lose not only their reproduction capabilities, but their emotionality. They basically became a hive mentality because the, the task of the hybridization agenda to save their society was so complex <clears throat> and needed so much time that they knew that they would need to work, like I said, sort of as a hive mind to get it done so that their emotions would not interfere with the process. And yet they know they needed to be guided. And according to Bashar, this is kind of where the mantis beings came in, is they sort of, for lack of a better term, employed the mantis beings to be their overseers, to guide the whole process over time, <clears throat> because they themselves no longer had any real individual initiative. So once they tunneled into our parallel reality and started extracting DNA uh, from humans, uh, in the abduction experiences, as we called them, they began creating hybrid beings, which they could sort of engineer to be able to be viable again over time. Now, um, they may have used other DNA from other extraterrestrial beings as well, to a little bit of a degree, but uh, mostly the idea began as the, with the greys and humans blending their DNA together <clears throat> Uh, and the reason, um, you know, I've, I've heard some scientists say, well, it's, you know, not really viable for an extraterrestrial species to be able to match human DNA and create a, a hybrid child from that. But see, the secret actually is, is that since the greys used to be human, they're not really alien. So with some uh, technological assistance, they were able to really just create a human-human hybrid but in a sense, it's a mutated human and regular human hybrid. And in that sense, it's it's no problem necessarily, basically, to be able to create the hybrid children from their union and ours. So they began to create different variations um, as they progressed, as they learned more over time, probably over hundreds and thousands of years, uh, to create not only the next generation, which Bashar calls the Tall Greys, or in the ancient tongue of his language, the Mazani. Uh, the Greys are called Maz-e, and the next Tall generation of Greys is called Mazani. And then according to Bashar, the third uh, hybrid race is his own, the Sasani beings, uh, which are artificially created and put on a planet that is called Eh-Sasani, place of the Sasani beings. And then the fourth generation of it, he calls the Shaya El, 
and the fifth generation is the Yaya El, which are much closer to us, human looking, maybe their eyes are a little larger, maybe their features might be a slight bit unusual, but well within the realm or range that we would accept as perhaps just a an exotic looking human. Um, <clears throat> some of them may be a little bit more unusual than others, but some of them are human enough looking to blend in among us. Now, um, according to what Bashar has said, and, and this is obviously a very quick encapsulization of the story, um, all the way from their parallel version of Earth all the way to ours, um, is that each of them sort of has a different function. <clears throat> the tall greys assist the greys, or did assist them through the abduction experiences. The Sasani, like Bashar's people, are uh, first contact specialists and will also come later uh, when open contact occurs to help guide us in the understanding of our place in the cosmos. The fourth generation, the Shaya El, are where the what he calls the precursors come from, and the precursors are <clears throat> versions of the hybrids that will walk among us to sort of observe uh, where we're at energetically, vibrationally, in our frequency, whether we're ready to meet them and have contact with them, or to register whether or not we even notice them walking nearby. So it's kind of like a, a preliminary test to see how we, or if we are able to pick up on their presence and what our reaction would be, because they're obviously going to need to be very cautious. Because ultimately, the Yayayel are the um, <clears throat> caretakers of what he calls the, the hybrid children that will eventually come to live among us on Earth. They are being trained to understand our society, being acclimated to it. Um, the hybrid children in his ancient language are called the Shalanaya, which means those who come first. And so, ultimately, according to Bashar, they will, through synchronicity, uh, with the help of certain um, Earth humans who are uh, synchronistically attracted to do so, uh, what he calls the preparers, will create certain sanctuaries in remote areas for the hybrid children so that they can acclimate to Earth in a safe environment and so that we can acclimate to them over time uh, also. <clears throat> and uh, however long that takes, ultimately the hybrid children, according to Bashar, will come to live among us. Over time, we will blend together as a society and begin to evolve with them to create what Bashar is calling the sixth hybrid race. So the greys are the first, the tall greys are the second, the Sasani are the third, the Shayayel are the fourth, the Yayayel are the fifth, and the Shalanai are the children that will blend with earth humans to create the sixth hybrid race as part of the evolutionary chain and basically also as a part of helping us to make sure we don't go down the same destructive path that the greys went down uh, when they destroyed their version of earth. I know this is a big story it has a lot more complexity to it than what I'm giving you right now. This is a very streamlined version, a simplistic version of all this. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, but this is the overview that Bashar is attempting to uh, share with us. And the information from his hybrid civilization that he is sharing with us about how reality works, <clears throat> what the nature of existence is like, how we can apply this information uh, to our lives to change them 
is really for the purpose of getting our vibration to upgrade so that we can actually be more vibrationally compatible with the hybrid children who are going to come to live here and it would help propel and accelerate us all toward the evolutionary path of becoming the sixth hybrid race now he's also said of course that you know we we chose to interact in this hybridization agenda whether we remember it or not probably from a much higher level a spiritual level perhaps before we incarnated so as i said before even though i understand that some of these hybridization experiences and abduction experiences have been traumatic for a lot of people and i'm not in any way shape or form attempting to dismiss that experience that mostly comes according to bashar from the fact that we have never been taught that this is going on and we haven't been taught the tools necessary to handle it so the idea is that these things have come as a surprise to us uh, our consciousness simply wasn't ready for it and a lot of the panic that happens and trauma that happens in these or did happen in these encounters um, are mainly because uh, we just feel out of control we don't really know what's going on because we haven't been properly prepared um, he has sort of likened it and, and again I don't mean this to in any way shape or form be dismissive of anyone's experience but he sort of likened it to the idea of taking a young child to the doctor and the child may be scared to death but the parents understand that this may be for the child's own good uh, even though the child may not understand that at the time um, the other thing about all of that is <clears throat> that you know by giving us this information and giving us the opportunity they're sort of uh, to change our reality and to go in a more positive direction than some of the ways we've been going they're they're paying us back in a sense for allowing them to use our dna to save their civilization so in return the hybrids are attempting to give us what we need so we again don't go down the same destructive path as the original humans that became the greys so there is an exchange going on here uh it's a, a very powerful exchange the um, information is definitely designed to benefit us and open us up to contact so that we know we are not alone in the universe <clears throat> bashar has said that the uh the open window for contact somewhere between 2023 and 2033 or 40 is when it will begin now that doesn't mean they will land all at once according to him uh it has to be a gradual program a gradual process that again allows us to not only acclimate to the hybrid children that would come to live among us but to the fact that we're part of a greater galactic society because these things would cause a tremendous change in our society and they have to be very respectful and very cautious about how that happens because this is our planet uh we get to decide what we will accept and what we won't um but in essence this is the um cliff notes version so to speak of the whole story as bashar has told it um so this is what i understand overall is happening with us right now in this transitional transformational time um but um again you know underscoring the the necessity to open up uh to be inviting to not be afraid to um understand that that this is a natural evolutionary path um and to just really be open to receiving more information raising our vibration 
um, and which makes us, you know, better receivers, better antennas to receive higher frequency information and energy so that we can participate in this more consciously on our own terms without fear. Um, now, what I understand is going on in the uh, hybridization agenda right now is not so much the idea of abduction now. That phase is, is it's sort of phasing out. What's happening now is that people are being <clears throat> brought to the ships, they're having encounters like they had before, but more for the purpose of actually teaching the hybrid children what to expect on Earth, teaching them our ways, because we have to realize that in a way they're very foreign to us and they don't even understand what we take for granted as very simple things that we're used to experiencing here on Earth in physical reality. So my understanding is now the hybridization agenda has shifted into more of a teaching program, an acclimatization program, so that again, eventually, we can ease into, in a more positive way, the idea of uh, inviting, accepting, and allowing uh, this evolutionary path to unfold. Um, that is basically the story. I just wanted to ask you what, and not to be harsh, but what was so valuable about the gray civilization that they felt it was worth saving? Why go through all this trouble? Well, they have very advanced knowledge as we're learning from what Bashar is sharing with us because that knowledge comes directly from their interactions with the greys. They were much more advanced than we are in a lot of ways technologically. But now the hybrids have had a chance to also grow spiritually and emotionally. So they're bringing us a much more balanced view of our relationship with the universe. Um, in a sense, remember, we're family because we are now genetically connected. So they're treating us like family and they're sharing their knowledge, their gifts with us. And I guess like just basically any civilization doesn't necessarily want to die out. They, they have a survival mode as well and felt that what they had experienced was worth preserving and also worth sharing with other versions of Earth. So... I would think that's the basic answer to why they did that. The other thing I'm very curious about is the levels of consciousness of each of these generations, each of these, because when you said, and, and you talk about this in the book also that you wrote, the essay you wrote, that when you were in the presence of Bashar in this dreamlike world, his, his um, I guess, field of consciousness was so overwhelming, it was hard for you to maintain a sense of self. Can you talk about that? and the yeah. association with each of those races? Yeah, I don't know that much about the association with all the others, but I can talk about the one with Bashar because I've experienced it in the dream state with him. The idea is that they operate on an extremely high vibrational level, and when exposed to them <clears throat> physically, which is one of the reasons why they don't land right now, it can, as an energy field, it can kind of overwhelm our own energy field, and it would force things that we may not necessarily be ready to handle within ourselves to the surface before we're ready to handle it. In other words, he said it can kind of cause a psychic shock within us because we're very compartmentalized here on Earth. We have a lot of sort of hidden aspects of our consciousness and we have a lot of fear-based beliefs that we may be unconsciously uh, holding on to or in denial about. <clears throat> and so by being in the presence of someone who is completely transparent, energetically, who is completely homogenized uh, within themselves, with there's no separation within themselves, they operate on a, a much higher level. He's saying that exposure to that can force things to the surface 
that before we're ready to handle them. So they're being very cautious about giving us information that allows us at our own rate, at our own pace, to change ourselves and make ourselves closer in frequency to them so that we'll be able to eventually handle when they physically land here on Earth. The other thing that, um, it's just a helicopter overhead, they're, they're coming. But um, <laughs> the other thing that I think is so important about Bashar's teachings, because he is sort of a spiritual teacher, but it's the whole society functions in a kind of idyllic or sounds like idyllic way. Can you talk about the, the whole um, use of synchronicities and the way they live? That's so important. Yeah, he actually has said they, they operate on pure synchronism. <clears throat> and that simply means they understand how the universe is structured. They understand how reality is created by us all. And they understand how it works almost literally like looking at a machine or a mechanism. And by saying that, I don't mean to take the emotion out of it. It's just meaning that they understand how it all fits together. And therefore, they completely trust that everyone in their society at this point in their evolution will wind up being exactly where they need to be, exactly when they need to be there, interacting with exactly who they need to interact with, getting exactly what they need from them, giving exactly what the other person needs without error. <clears throat> it's very precise. So they really trust the orchestration, or perhaps more poetically, they trust the dance of synchronicity that is going on all around us all the time, but we don't always think of everything that happens around us as synchronicity. But according to him, it is. It's just that they're very conscious of that fact. And because they're conscious that everything is an orchestration created by all the individuals in any group, including their civilization, they can play with it. They can use it to their advantage in a very automatic and effortless way to allow synchronicity as the organizing principle of their society and of reality to let synchronicity automatically guide them to be where they need to be. And by going with that flow, everything works out in perfect timing and in perfect harmony. And this is one of the things he's saying we can experience here as well, if we would learn to understand how existence is actually structured, what its true nature is all about. So how do we start to understand that, would you say, and apply it to our lives? Well, he's given us what he basically calls the formula or an instruction manual. And what that means is he's taken all of their observations of how reality works and he's distilled it down into an extremely simple instruction manual. Number one is you basically act on your passion. Whatever is most exciting, most attractive, whatever engenders more curiosity for you than anything else, even if it's just a little bit more exciting than any other option, no matter how simple it may be, and you act on that first, every single moment that you can. You do it to the best of your ability, that's number two. Taking it as far as you can until you can take it no further, because your excitement, your passion will wax and wane. It will grow and it will diminish, but you have to make sure that it grows and diminishes naturally as the product of synchronicity guiding you automatically and not holding on to a fear-based belief that is making it look like it's stopping when it doesn't necessarily have to. So you have to be very honest within your own self-investigation about whether you're dampening your excitement or whether it is naturally waning to point you in the direction of the next thing that is more passionate that you're able to do something about. 
Step three of the formula is to take that action on your excitement, on your passion, with absolutely zero assumption and zero insistence on what the outcome is supposed to look like. Because he's basically saying that while it may sometimes match your image of what the ideal outcome is, very often it will not. <clears throat> because you don't necessarily really know, truthfully, what the ideal outcome really needs to look like for the next moment of your life, for the process that you're going through. So by removing all of the assumption and all the insistence on the outcome, you let your own non-physical higher mind bring you what you need next. And the fourth step is you choose to remain in a positive state no matter what happens. Because even if what manifests is something you objectively don't prefer, that's not a value judgment, just a recognition that something might not be vibrationally compatible with you. But if you stay in a positive state, you'll be able to get the benefit out of why that thing happened. Because everything happens for a reason. It's got to be there for a reason that could serve you. If you stay in the positive state, you'll see how it can. If you go into a negative reaction, oh no, something's wrong, this shouldn't have happened, I should be beyond this, blah, 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 blah. You'll only experience the negative side of that because everything serves double duty. It's fundamentally neutral. <clears throat> You're putting the meaning into it by your definition of what happened by your energizing it that way so follow your passion to the best you can no assumption no insistence on the outcome remain in a positive state no matter what happens to get the benefit from it and constantly honestly investigate your belief systems and let go of the fear-based ones the ones that are not in alignment with who you prefer to be he is saying this is not a philosophy it is literally a distillation of an instruction manual for how you create your physical reality experience. And if you just follow the instructions as precisely as you can, it opens up all sorts of tools, synchronicity again being one of them as the organizing principle, and everything automatically falls into place in perfect timing as it needs to. So that's the gift he has given to us, and he spends a lot of time explaining the details and how to more precisely use those instructions <clears throat> but he's basically saying there are no more instructions so it's like if you got an instruction manual to operate a piece of machinery you don't change the instructions you don't add the instructions you don't take away from the instructions you follow the instructions the machine will work as advertised he's saying it's as simple as that so is that how all those other races the yaels and all of them or there's a slightly different i wouldn't say agenda but motivation or is that the, the kind of formula for life it's all about the hybridization agenda and i think one of the things that we haven't realized yet as a society is <clears throat> there are beings in the universe that are in some way in their own evolutionary path guided to aid others in their evolutionary path right. blending with a species that is compatible can be one of them. So it's almost like they are fulfilling their particular evolutionary destiny by helping us also up the ladder of the evolutionary path. So it's just that some species function almost like bees going from flower to flower, taking the pollen and making honey out of it. They're literally taking DNA and turning it into something that represents the next phase 
of evolution for another species. And I think that's what's going on here. And every single one of the hybrids is playing their part in this. So this oneness of consciousness, because if they're, they're helping themselves by helping us and the totality, but also talk about their process, the society process of evolution, because you said they're not as physical they, as they used to be. So where are they going and moving into? They're what they refer to as themselves as quasi-physical, which means they're at an evolutionary point where they exhibit the qualities both of a physical being and a spirit being. <clears throat> so they exist in their consciousness very multidimensionally. Most people think of you know aliens like this, hybrids like this, as simply a bunch of aliens walking around on the surface of a planet or flying in spaceships. But he has said that their experience of reality is extremely different from ours. And it's more like they're walking through a series of parallel reality daydreams every single second. But they have evolved to the point where their consciousness can handle that much input. So if you imagine, let's say, you know, a film strip and you're looking at the different frames and you're running them to create the illusion of a particular single storyline or a continuity. Well, imagine taking 20, 30, 40 different film strips and stacking them together so that not only are you getting the linear experience, you're also getting the depth of all of the frames that go backwards from the one on the surface that you're looking at. So you're literally seeing multitudes of double exposures, triple exposures, quadruple exposures, as you're going also through the idea of the experience of linear time. So it's literally like walking through a daydream of multiple realities for them constantly, and they've learned to handle that. And we are now evolving to that point where we are approaching being able to handle that. I think that- The right? very beginnings of that. The very beginnings of that. We are experiencing a change in space and time. A lot of us, when you expand your consciousness, this is what goes with the territory. Space and time become more flexible, more malleable. You start perceiving things in parallel realities, um, counterparts of yourself and other civilizations. But we're at the very beginning of understanding that this is a representation of the bigger beings that we are and that we're not just this little limited physically focused entity here. Um, so yes, we're experiencing the very, very beginnings of that. Um, but, you know, it'll take some time for us to get used to all that. But when open contact occurs, uh, they will help us to understand how that all works a little bit more fully. Um, one of the things he has also said is that when, first con when open contact finally does occur uh, for us, they will also present us with our own full history so that we can really understand everything that's gone on on this planet for thousands of years that we may have lost or been missing um, or just simply you know, have forgotten about. Um, so that will also help kind of pull some pieces together to understand you know, where we've come from will help us understand a little bit more about where we're going and help us see the bigger picture that they see from a galactic point of view. When they say you, they'll present us, how will, do you imagine that might take place? They'll go in front of the world or I mean, how do you imagine? My understanding from what I've seen in the images I get in my head when I'm channeling him is they will actually present us with a device that will actually contain images of all the history. I mean, literally like an Encyclopedia Galactica kind of thing. Wow. Wow. Hey, Neil, um, is, you, did you want to ask Daryl something? Hey, Daryl. Hey. Yeah, Hi. I have a couple questions. Sure. All right. I wrote it down. Let me see. 
Okay, so firstly, both of these questions are in regards to, you know, hybrid races, but specifically Yael for the first one. Mm -hmm. If the Yael will, will the Yael still be the first ET race we connect with? And is there a timeline for this? And um, will they be the ones to teach us about space travel? The Yael will be the first hybrid race to make open contact, not necessarily the first ET race. Um, Bashar has said there may be other ET races that will make contact with us more openly first, possibly like the Pleiadians or something like that. But he's saying the Yael, because they are the caretakers of the hybrid children, will be the ones to be here to make sure that everything is working okay. They may instruct us to some degree on the idea of space travel, but my understanding is they're more about the idea of the social engineering on the Earth to make sure that socially, politically, what have you, things are starting to be more balanced. Things are going in a more positive direction. It may be up to other ET races to teach us things about space travel. Bashar has already started talking about how they travel through space and has actually offered us uh, some descriptions of experiments that we could try to start learning the very basics of the technology of how they go from star to star uh, very, very rapidly. So they may be more the ones to teach us that or others may teach us their ways um that has yet that remains to be seen did you have another question because i have more too yeah i have i have another i have two more questions but i'll ask one and then maybe ask the other one later okay so i'm curious about um how time exists in regards to hybrid races since you're saying the program and the agenda has moved away from hybridization to something else but within our linear time, we've already been talking about and dealing with the beginnings of that hybridization program. So are we interacting with multiple um, levels of consciousness from their own timeline, from the Yael timeline, or is it just one specific group from when it comes to the Yael, if that makes any sense? Um, no, I think there probably are agendas within agendas or programs within programs. And that's maybe part of some of the things that have been confusing about the reports is that we're dealing with different factions who have different agendas at different times, but since time for them is probably not exactly what it is for us, some of these may overlap, and it causes a little bit of confusion in a society like ours that's simply used to linear time. Beautiful. Alan, did you want to go ahead? Yeah, I mean, you, you started this relationship 38 years ago. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about your change and the change you also see within the consciousness of the planet from yeah sure yeah sure briefly i mean you know having channeled him for 38 years when i'm in the channeling state i feel what they feel i experience kind of the way they live and that has certainly rubbed off on me <clears throat> over 38 years so i've noticed great changes in my life in terms of more emotional balance more synchronicity more things just happening a little more magically um at time and space being more flexible. I've had certain experiences where time has been extremely collapsed or even non-existent for a moment. Um, and also, of course, things have changed. Um, as I've experienced going through this, people are obviously more open, more discussion. The very fact that you're doing this kind of a program is not something that could have existed when I started this. Uh, so the fact that more people are willing to talk about these things uh, is definitely a change. But I'm going to say it the way that Bashar says it, and that is we never change the world we're actually on because there are multiple versions of Earth that exist simultaneously in parallel realities. 
we don't change the one we're on, we shift ourselves to a new version that is already more reflective of the change we've made within ourselves and interact with the versions of the people that have already also made that change within themselves. And therefore, over time, that's how things change because time, according to him, is a side effect of our consciousness shifting through parallel realities. So the more we navigate in the direction of the ones we prefer, the less likely we will eventually experience the versions of Earth that we don't prefer. And it's almost like train tracks going off in different directions. Whatever train you're on, you may still be able to see the other train right now and what people are doing on that train. But eventually, he's saying, you'll no longer experience them. They'll no longer experience you because you're literally navigating yourself in different directions to different parallel realities. Um, Sheila, did you... Oh, I'm just going to say about Sheila, that might actually describe what happened to Sheila when she had this awakened transformative experience. Well, go ahead, Sheila. Yes. Um, yeah, being a soul exchange walk-in, I'm just curious how the walk-in program fits into this shifting of consciousness. My understanding from Bashar's point of view of walk-ins is that it's not, it's not, well, okay, let's see. <laughs> It's an upgrade in your own soul, in the sense that there's now more of you coming through. So because there is more of you coming through, it actually does alter the personality. It alters the higher mind because you are now a different person to be able to bring through more of your actual soul. So it's not a different soul in the way most people think of it. It's more of the same soul, but since Bashar says any change is a total change, you're, the more soul that you are now expressing is also in its own way a different soul. But these things happen simultaneously and it's not a this or that thing, it's a this and that thing. So you have to look at it kind of multidimensionally to go, a different personality means you're a different person. A different higher mind is a different higher mind and a different soul is a different soul, yet it's also the same thing as you're just bringing through more of yourself and you've sort of gone up the ladder vibrationally. And that's why a person seems so different when they allow that to happen, when they progress to that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah it does. And, you know, like in my case and several of the other walk-ins that I've interviewed, um, there tends to be a, um, forgetfulness that comes over us like i don't remember a lot of the previous life exactly because well again that goes hand in hand with what bashar said even about um as you change your personality well okay let me put it this way <clears throat> time is an illusion so the past and the future are also illusions they're just other simultaneous parallel realities that from a linear perspective we call the past we call the future but they're all going on at the same time. However, when you change yourself, when you shift to another parallel reality, if you're truly understanding that you're a new person, if you think about that from a linear perspective, how did you get that way? You have to justify it linearly by having a new past. So you can maybe maintain elements that used to be there before if they're necessary for your new personal personality in the present. But generally speaking, you might actually start to forget because it was never your past, because you are really focused on the fact that you're a new person. And a new person 
has to have had a new past that made them the person they now are. This gets into all sorts of weird fourth dimensional physics, but I think the basic premise makes sense when you lay it out that way. In fact, Bashar has said, many of us have had many different pasts that we don't even remember, not only individually, but collectively. So five minutes ago, our history could have been completely different. And what we remember as our history now is being created in the present, but because we're doing that in a linear space-time, it's made to seem as if that's always been our history. That's the way it works. So you don't know how many histories you've had, necessarily. Awesome, thank you. Neil, yeah. did you, thank you, Sheila, that was great. Neil, um, did you have another question, Neil? No, because I- I have, I have a little background noise right now, so give me a minute. Okay, well, the thing I've been interested, well, somebody also says some people, the, the, the hybrid amortization between the grays were really Zetas from Zeta Reticuli and not Earth-based parallel beings. What do you say about that? Well, Zeta could be a colony. Yeah. You know, that could easily be a colony. I mean, when they came into our reality, they had to settle somewhere. So, you know, they may have picked several planets to be on, and that may simply have been one faction that... Betty and Barney Hill discovered, you know, right. uh, where they got named. But, and also, please do remember this. They've gone into several parallel realities. We may be dealing with parallel reality grays from several different origin points. So it's not just the story I'm giving you. The story I'm giving you is one particular story, one particular perspective. But since this is a multidimensional experience, we could be dealing with grays and other ETs from many different directions other dimensions of parallel realities in our own galaxy, what have you. Well, you have ready, Neil? I, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. I always have a million questions, but go ahead. Yeah. So I was curious about um, your your opinion on the cycles of time, right? Let's talk about like, for example, the dark ages, the Kali Yuga, and technically from, you know, looking at these scriptures, it shows that we're going out of the dark ages into this, into the bronze age. However, it kind of looks like really low on the totem pole in regards to the evolution of consciousness. So how does this relate to the awakening and ET contact in like direct ET contact, physical, like things starting to happen? Is yeah. this really far enough future because of that cycle or does no. that even matter? No, because again, we go back to the idea of that splitting train track thing. This is the time of what Bashar calls the splitting prism which means that people are making their choices and everything is coming out on the table so we can make the choices we prefer. Not everyone is necessarily going to make the choice to be on the version of Earth that has open contact. So we may still be able to see people making choices that are vibrationally incompatible with us. Just because we can see them doesn't mean we actually are in their reality. So the more we stay on our track, the farther apart we'll get from the people that are choosing something significantly different. And eventually, over time, we may not interact or see them at all in our reality and vice versa. But right now, because this is the transformational age, we still get to see all the choices that people are making, positive and negative, so that we can really decide for ourselves what do we really prefer here? And also, so we still have an opportunity to share information with others that may not necessarily be making the most positive choices to at least give them the chance to also make the same kind of positive choices for themselves. Not that they have to take it, because basically Bashar says the only thing we can do is share the information and give them the opportunity or the option to think about that, 
but what they do with the information is none of our business. So we have to allow them to walk their own path. But that's what's going on right now is this is the time to choose what path are you going to walk before it splits so far apart that it would probably be more challenging to go from one track to another when they're so far apart. Does that answer your question? It does. Thank you. Yeah. I wonder if Barbara Lamb, who you know who Barbara Lamb is? Oh, uh, down, of course. Yeah. Oh, okay. Have you met Barbara before? I have. Okay. Hi, Barbara. <laughs> Barbara, do you have a comment? Hi, Barbara. How are you? Fine. Good to see you again and good to hear you. I always gain so much from oh, well, everything. Thank you. you're, you're sweet. Everything, every word that you share. Thank you. You too. Absolutely. <laughs> well, my, my comment is that as far out as all of this is, it totally makes sense. <laughs> and so many of the people who come to me uh, for regression work are involved in bits and pieces of this whole perspective. Uh, so <clears throat> it, it, this kind of brings it all together in, in my mind, and I appreciate that. Even though I've heard lots and lots of, of your presentations before, your Bashar channelings, mm -hmm. um, and even had a couple of times of asking him a question myself, which nice. was wonderful. Um, so. Anyway, I think that you're really bringing in more of an understandable view of reality, of actual well, thank encompassing you. reality uh, than anybody else I've, I've been hearing. Well, and I appreciate you. that. Thank you. Everyone has their path. Um, everyone needs oh. to receive information in, in the way that works for them. But the thing that I like about the way Bashar delivers information is that because he understands physical reality, because he is physical to some degree, is that he he knows we need some kind of a physical tool to work with. And that's what I like is that he he renders a lot of <clears throat> metaphysical concepts into workable physical actions that actually do make a physical difference in your life. And therefore, in a sense, it's very pragmatic. It's very practical. Um, that's right. that's what I appreciate about the way he brings those concepts to us. Um, I had a question before we run out of time, unless you had something else, Barbara, just... Um... Well, yeah, I, just, I just wanted to say that um, years ago, Daryl, I heard you through the channeling talk about following your synchronicity, following your passion. passion. Mm -hmm. And as I look back on my life, um, I see that that is absolutely true. Yeah, that it works. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that beginning sometime in my early adulthood, um, I began following my path, probably way back earlier than that. But I'm thinking particularly of my adult life and all the work that I have been doing mm -hmm. for 30 years or more. Um, has come out of following my excitement. Yeah. And and it is as I look back, I think, oh my God, it, it seems as if somebody has a guide or various guides have inspired me at the right moment to do the right thing, yeah. to meet the right person and to learn the right things that have led in, you know, step by step by step into 
being able to do the work that I still yes. am so thrilled and excited yeah. to be doing. Yeah, well, I appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you so much for being willing to follow your passion and bring everyone the work that you do. That's, again, that's, you know, everyone that finally follows the, the instruction manual, the formula, you know, comes back and says, oh, my God, it makes such a big difference. Um, it is literally following an instruction for how reality works. And I really appreciate that you were willing to do that because it makes so much difference in everyone's life. Yeah, it's it's great. Well, Barbara, Thank you, you so are, much for bringing that to us. My pleasure. You're a great example because you are still so alive, vital, and inquisitive and passionate. So thank you. Um, Daryl, the question I've had but for a long time is when I was asking Bashar a particular question, he said there was a moment in his history where something happened. It was like a convergence point where everything changed. So the Shana experience. Yes. Yeah. Talk about that because I wanted to hear more. Well, <clears throat> because, of course, they are an artificial race, in a sense, they had a little bit of a head start on us. Uh, they still did have to evolve through their own experience of um, transforming anything that they had that was negative into something positive. But when they reached a certain point in their history, one particular being <clears throat> that was born in their society functioned almost like a like a fulcrum point or a center point for all of them. And when they reached that vibrational level, the addition of that child tipped the scales so that there was kind of a, a telepathic cascade effect that occurred in their society. And they all woke up at once into a understanding, a telepathic reality that allowed them to almost literally just jump to a new level. And they refer to that as the Shekana experience, which I think roughly means something like exalted light spirit experience. Don't you think we may be coming close to that point for Earth beings, in a sense? Yes, but I think we're doing it in a different way. We may reach a point where we have a similar experience, but I don't know that we'll have the identical experience because we're coming at it from a very different place. So we may have a number of ways of achieving that. I don't want to necessarily pin it down to the way they achieved it. We don't really know what we're going to experience when we reach that point, but we can certainly see that we're working toward it. <clears throat> can you tell us a little bit more of what Bashar sees for the future? I mean, he did sort of predict, and I think it was 2019, he said it's going to be a wild ride in 2020, sort of like he's said. <laughs> well, he said in 2016, everything would change. And he said, basically, it was going to be nuts. Right. which I think That's has come true. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, we're going through what he calls the eye of the needle, which again is the idea of, of you have to let, we have to streamline ourselves down to such a fine understanding of ourselves that we can slip through a very narrow passage, which means we have to let go of all of the superfluous fear-based beliefs, negative beliefs, things that are simply not vibrationally compatible with us if we really want to effortlessly slip through that tiny, tiny portal of opportunity for ourselves. So it's not so much a prediction of the future as it is saying, look, this is the energy that exists now. This is the opportunity that exists now. If you're willing to let go of the things that really aren't germane for you, you will slide through this much faster and come out the other end in a much more effortless, much more joyful, much more creative kind of way. 
but this eye of the needle goes all the way through into the window of contact and beyond because again this is a process and and we require a little bit of time to understand these things well is the government disclosure the one that happened june 20 is that part of it's this? the beginning of disclosure yes the very okay. beginnings was Shar happy about that? I mean, was he? He's happy about everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but he is recognizing that that is one of the signs. It's one of the signs that we are shifting <clears throat> to a version of Earth where we can now begin to experience the very initial steps of disclosure, and there will be more. And it's another sign, the fact that these, well, billionaires going into space or people going into space, is that another yeah, it represents many different things, but that's certainly one of them, because, again, the idea is that we're reaching out as they're reaching over to us. So the more normal it becomes for us to realize that we can do that and the more common it becomes, um, the closer we come to understanding that we are part of a galactic society. I mean, if you really stop and think about the difference going on, <clears throat> there is not, let's see, what we uh, started in the 60s there's not a child born after 1969 that hasn't thought that we are in space because we've been going to space ever since then so that's a completely different mindset from the people that were born before it uh so now with people making that more common well you know a child 20 years from now is going to say well of course we're going into space they don't even think twice about it and that's a very different mindset that changes things very dramatically well and maybe someone else has a question but the last question i have is how abundant is life and intelligence as bashar may find it totally. throughout the galaxy throughout the universe oh, you mean yeah. in terms of that well in yes terms, yeah. it is quite abundant i mean even though there is a lot of a lot of areas that don't necessarily harbor life, the universe is gigantic. So, <clears throat> uh, percentage-wise, there's a lot of life for us to discover. Both what we consider to be intelligent and not, but um, you know, but it's also found us. So the other thing is they'll guide us with that too. In fact, Bashar has actually said there is a civilization that does exist that is sort of evolved to the point that would be somewhat equivalent to our renaissance <clears throat> at this point and that <clears throat> they will help us become their ufos uh -huh. contact with them so they will help us train how to make contact with other civilizations for those who are interested in doing so and they have actually purposely not made contact with certain civilizations at a certain level to give us the experience of doing that as well Great. Sheila or Barbara, do you want to jump in for any, because we're coming close to, or Neil? There, there's ahead. a couple questions in the Q&A. Shall we take oh, good. some of these questions? Yeah, please, by all means. Okay, so Stella is saying, according to Bashar, what is the role of blood type as a factor for choosing certain people to contribute with genetic material to the hybridization agenda? One basic factor is how much genetics connect all the way back to the Anunnaki hybridization and creation of Homo sapiens. So in a sense, all human beings are hybridized. The natural, the naturally evolved being on the earth is Sasquatch. The branches of Homo erectus that were not hybridized by ETs are Sasquatch. And if the ETs had not 
created Homo sapien with their genetic material, we would all be Sasquatch. So the factor that is the most important for the hybridization now is the amount of genetic material that still may remain <clears throat> in certain bloodlines that connect more strongly to the original Anunnaki. Wow, that's new for me. Neo, anything else in the chat? I've got a few more here. All right, Nadi's asking, did the Zetas employ any other races to assist them or just the Mantis? Why the Mantis in particular? Is it because of their role as original geneticists? Yes, in part, and they have, uh, I think people have reported that there have been other races like the Tall Whites and so on and so forth that have been uh, seen in many of the uh, so-called abduction experiences. So obviously there are other races working with them. Now, what the exact relationship between the greys and other races are, I don't know, except for the mantis. Um, but yes, I think there are other races that are involved that are interested in in our evolution as well and, and helping out with this. Hmm. Yeah. What, what, what must we do to not follow the greys' destructive path, balancing technology and spirituality? follow the formula that Bashar shares with all of us. That contains every single thing we need to stay on a path that navigates us to a more positive version of Earth. Follow that formula. Beautiful. Go ahead, Alan. No, I just wonder for you, Daryl, and your evolution and where you're going, what what what's what's the future? What do you look what do you what's happening? I just I, I always have, even before I knew this stuff, it was just instinctive for me to always follow my passion. The thing that I think is most important to say about that, like Barbara mentioned, when you do in fact follow the formula, follow your passion as best you can, no insistence, no assumption of the outcome, stay in a positive state, examine your beliefs, let go of the ones that don't work for you that are fear based. You are always supported. Now, you know, I have been <clears throat> doing things that excite me basically ever since I got out of high school. I'm almost 70. It has always supported me by following my passion. I think it's important for people to realize that it may not come in the form you think, because abundance has many different forms, many different expressions, not just money, but you will always be supported by the version of abundance or the multiple versions of abundance when you follow the formula that will always allow you to continue to follow your passion. So one of the most important things that comes up as a subject with Bashar is, you know, can I guarantee, can I be assured that I will be supported by following my passion? And as long as you broaden your definition of what abundance is, yes, you will be. Because not only is money a version of abundance, but being given a gift is a version of abundance. Synchronicity is a version of abundance. Having something to trade is a version of abundance. Communication is a type of abundance. Imagination is a type of abundance. And they come together and work together a little bit here, a little bit there to form the 100% that you may need at any given moment to move forward. So follow the formula. It works when you do it. What does it look like for you? I mean, where what are you working on? Do you want to share anything? Oh, please. Okay, I'm. I mean, I'm writing four books. I just finished my third fe feature film as a director, writer, producer with my wife Erica. Uh, we obviously do all the Bashar events with my partner April Rochelle at Bashar Communications. Uh, I'm designing an escape room attraction. I, I'm constantly creating something, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, and things just happen in the timing that they need to. And you're helping so many people just with that formula. If they, it's like they they start to believe in themselves and trust and and add to creation. 
and yeah and they deserve to uh, you know it, there's no such thing as somebody who isn't worthy if you weren't worthy of being here you wouldn't exist trust me because creation doesn't make mistakes barbara were you going to say something <laughs> i just want to say that um several years ago when you produced dearly departed mm -hmm. that film mm -hmm. i have absolutely loved that film and i have oh, recommended you. it to hundreds of people thank you it's just so brilliant and changes our perspective. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. About I appreciate life and death that. and mm -hmm. when we die and how we die and yeah, all it was that. a it was a fun concept because what we decided, you know, we wanted to do something about the reports that we, you know, had been reading about near death experiences, but we didn't want to do just a straightforward documentary. So we kind of came up with the question, well, what would happen if you could take a camera into the afterlife and interview the spirits to find out what life <laughs> yeah. is like? So that's the way we did it. So it's kind of a, a quasi documentary that pretends to be talking to spirits, but it's based on reports of what uh, near-death reports have said that they've experienced when they crossed over before they came back. <laughs> Daryl also- Brilliant, brilliant. Thanks. I was just going to say, Daryl also directed and produced and wrote um, First Contact, which is a, a right. It's the documentary of how I became a channel and who Bashar is and what that's all about. We just finished our third film, which is called Alienated, which is a little sci-fi romance. So we're we're branching off a little bit into a more mainstream film, <clears throat> but that'll be out soon through Indie Rights Movies. Right. So, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today as a Mm, reminder permission I, I mean i think i've said you know just the idea that you know really following your passion it, because see the thing of it is is you have a higher mind it's there to guide you it speaks to you and sends you messages but it sends them in the form of energy the way your body translates the message of what your higher mind is attempting to tell you is the physical sensation of passion so when you act on your passion, <clears throat> you are responding to the higher mind's message that this is you. This is your step. This is your path. This is who you are. But by taking the physical action, you're responding in the language of physical reality, which is action, not words. So when you do that, you're telling the higher mind, hey, I heard you and I'm willing to trust your guidance. And then the higher mind can send you more opportunities to act on your passion. Because why should it send you more opportunities if you haven't acted on what it's already sent you? Well, then it's about being grounded, being able to know your sense of feeling embodiment. Absolutely. It takes honest self-evaluation to know whether your beliefs are dampening your excitement or whether it's truly the guidance of the synchronicity that comes from the higher mind in the form of passion. And remember, there's two types of positive synchronicity. There's the true negative synchronicity that's the result of your fear-based beliefs, and that can create a downward spiral for you in your reality <clears throat> experiences. But there are two types of synchronicity that use positive and negative energy to guide you. The positive type, and this is kind of what we now started to call green light, red light synchronicity, like a traffic light. Right. The green light synchronicity tells you this is something you can act on right now. Go for it. Move on it. The red light synchronicity says, no, not now, not yet. Don't do this. It prevents you from going down a path that isn't right for you. So both of those together keep you on the narrow of where you need to be so the idea that you can't necessarily go forward on something you're passionate about isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it's not the product of a fear-based belief it could be red light synchronicity saying you may come back to this but right now this is easier go this way because if nothing else the path of least resistance is your true path
Right? And the universe has its own time frame, and we're we're so anxious to get. It's all within the synchronicity. It's the guiding principle. It's the timing principle. Just let it work. You don't have to make it work. Just let it work. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for the gift that you've given the population of the planet with Bashar and these and these words here. I'm getting a lot out of it as well, but thank you for the opportunity to share this. And again, I hope you know it helps a lot of people. It's my passion and my pleasure to do this. Um, so thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do so. Thank you.